I'm over here now. Pardon the interruption, no need for introduction. It's the drunken monk. Turn this shit up a little, son. My bucket up in smoke, sipping Bacardi till I'm giving my car keys to Jimmy Ferrari. And we out, about to go jump in a mosh pit full of hundreds of hot chicks saying something obnoxious like, I gotta put my foot in your ass permit. When I'm done, I'll cook you in a Brooklyn blast furnace. And here we are, episode 140 of the Brooklyn Blast Furnace Podcast. Uh, let me just run through real quick. Um, this episode and the podcast in general is sponsored by Generation Records, located at 210 Thompson Street in the West Village in New York City. Follow them on Instagram at Generation Records. Go online, generationrecords.com. Check them out. You can order stuff online or go there and uh, get whatever vinyl cds anything that you need they have a ton of merch downstairs they have um shit they have i'm drawing a blank dave they got records oh yeah they have records but no but they have um uh in-store performances they have spoken word stuff sometimes they have like all kinds of really cool shit going on at generation so check them out um shout out to mark for sponsoring the podcast he runs that record store and this podcast is also sponsored by New Republic Printing. Um, check them out on Instagram also at New Republic Printing. Go to newrepublicprinting.net. Check out their catalog. You can get everything, anything that you want, something printed on. They can print it for you. They have no screen setup fees. Um, there's no charge for uh, shipping to a commercial address. Dave, you're, you're, dis- you're displaying the shirt I just gave you, printed by Steve at New Republic Printing. Um, yeah, so... I've been using these guys on and off for literally over a decade for different projects that I've done. My girlfriend has used them. I recommend them to everybody. So check them out at newrepublicprinting.net, especially follow them on Instagram at New Republic Printing on Twitter at uh, N Republic Print. And with all of that said, welcome to episode 140 of the Brooklyn Blast Furnace with my friend here. What's up, my man? Dave Niebuhr. Doggy dog. Also known as Doggy Dave, yep. Mucky Pup, and a whole bunch of other things. Horror fanatic. It's it's funny. Well, first of all, thanks for your time. All right. I'm happy to be here with you. Thank you so well, much for including me in the Brooklyn Blast Furnace legacy. Uh, legacy, legacy. <laughs> well, listen, I, I I see you often at horror conventions, mm-hmm. um, and we it was like two years ago at this point where. It was at a Monster Mania, I believe, when John Carpenter was there, and we got we tucked ourselves in a corner for literally like five minutes to do a quick little blah 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 in out gone because you had to go wait online to go meet John yeah. Carpenter, and I didn't want to hold you hostage with nonsense. Okay. Well, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. So I saw you at Chiller this yeah. last Chiller, and you know I was like, listen. Let's set it up because I think you deserve, if you're down, a full proper episode because I've been a fan of your bands since I'm a teenager and you're a good dude and we have a lot in common when it comes to music and horror yeah. and all this stuff. So I thought it would be kind of cool to Absolutely. Uh, to make this happen. And thank, thank you. you f- thank you for inviting me into your home, Please. your beautiful home. Thank you. And uh, yeah, so here we are. Where would you like to begin? Well, 
I mean, you want to go way back? Yeah, let's let's start back. Chronological? I mean, yeah, let's do chronological for now, at least. I mean, right. let's let's. I think your listeners will probably be interested in like starting with Mucky Pup. Sure. And you've already had Chris Milnes on, and you've had I need uh, to do Danny a, on as well. I need to do a full one with Chris. I did a bonus little one okay. with him. I had Dan Nastassi on. Yep. So I joined Mucky Pup in 1988. It was like May, April, April of 88. And uh, I was still in high school. And uh, these guys, uh, I got a call from a friend uh, who said, hey, this band, uh, Mucky Pup, is looking for a bass player, and I recommended you, and you're going to get a call, and, you know, whatever. And, you know, a few minutes later, I got a call, and it was Dan Nastasi, and he said, hey, you know, you we're looking for a bass player. He didn't know who I was. He didn't know anything about me. He just heard that I, you know, was somebody that might be okay for them. Um, so we met. I went to the Mucky Pup rehearsal. We played a few songs, and the guys basically told me right there and then, you're in the band. Who was in the band at that point? So was, the, was the Tapeworm in the band? No, it wasn't. Tapeworm was not there. But, Shout uh, out to Scott. Scott, love you, man. Yeah, man. Uh, no, but it was it was John uh, Milnes, Chris Milnes, and Danny were the only ones there, and a friend of ours, Steve Trulio, who was like just a friend hanging out. Okay. Um, and it was it was fast, and then, you know, they're like, okay, well, you need a new bass, and, you know, we're going to take care of you. So it was like, we did a few shows that summer. And then uh, they were like, we're going on tour in Europe. In that was se- fast. In September, right. I had only been in the band, you know, four months of playing some local shows. And they're like, all right, we're going to Europe right now. And we're getting in the studio and we're going to do a demo for the second record. So this was all happening pretty fast. And I was like going to college at the time. I, I was out of high school. And I'm like, well, how am I going to be in college and uh, be in mucky pup and tour in europe so i i asked the like professors at college like is there any way i could go to europe for like a month come home and still like pass my classes and they were all like basically no No. it's almost impossible to do so i said what do i do at the time my mother had paid my tuition for the college and i i said to her what do you think and she's like that it'll probably only last a year yeah so (laughs) let me call the college they gave her the tuition back and i said okay Give me a year with this band and then I'll I'll start college and, you know, in the, the following year. Right. Well, everything kind of took off with Mucky Pup pretty quick. We recorded The Boy in a Man's World. We ended yeah. up going back to Europe two more times on tour for that record. Who, 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 like, did you go to Europe? You didn't go to Europe on the Can't You Take a Joke record. Yes. The first one yeah. you did. Yes. Exactly. Do you remember who, like, did you go yourselves or, or did someone, another band bring you out? We were the headliner. Uh, back then we did it, we did it with wow. a small, uh, booking agency at the time called Metalise. Um, guys who toured in the late eighties probably heard that name, this guy, Johan. And it was, you know, it was, it wasn't, it was just a van and, and pretty, yeah. pretty, like I can remember sleeping on a bunch of floors. Of course. Um, and we played with a German, uh, metal band called Accuser okay. who are still playing. We just did a show really? with them. Yeah. It was amazing to like reunite wow, with them awesome. after my first tour. And and a band who was called 69. They don't exist. They became Deviate from Belgium. Okay. Uh, so, you know, that was the first tour. And it was like, for me, like, you know, just a life-changing experience going to Europe with no parental supervision. And we're basically, I was 18. And Chris was the old guy and he was 21. So you're talking about yeah. between 18 and 21-year-olds yeah. exploring Europe. Sure. And this is pre-internet. This is yeah. all, I mean, we didn't know what we were doing. We you were just running to, around. You guys had to be one of the, f- I mean, I could be wrong, but... The one of the f- one of the first like punk hardcore northeast bands to really go to Europe, no? 
Yeah. I mean, at the time, I didn't really know what scene it was. I mean, it was, I'm sure there were other bands. I mean, I have to uh, think that most of the bands. Right. Well, I wasn't in the band on that tour, but but, yes, Mucky Pup were responsible for bringing Biohazard to Europe for the first time. Right. So yes, it was, maybe Mucky Pup had a little, uh, uh, you know, Maybe they were a little ahead of touring. We were on Roadrunner in Europe at the time. Shout so, out to Howie you know, Abrams. Yeah, Howie Abrams did not sign Mucky Pup. No, uh, okay. no, because Mucky Pup were signed to Torrid Records, right? That's in the, the U.S. Kid, that's the can't you take a joke record? I remember exactly. Was and then they were distributed by Road or or, or on Roadrunner in Europe. Okay. Um, so it, we were also on the same label as Hades yes. and Gothic Slam. Wow, I forgot Gothic Slam. Yeah. So the, the three of us would would play together often, and and all three bands kind of toured and, and played around. So we were on the same circuit, Leeway at the same time as well. I can remember, you know, basically my first show with Mucky Pup ever was at the Cat Club, New York City. Yeah, and it was Hades and uh, Mucky Pup and. Eddie Leeway was at that show and there weren't that many people, but that's where I first met him. And, you know, I was like already like we were, the guys in Mucky Pup were like heavy into Leeway. Yeah, um, especially back then. What year is this about? This is like we're talking like 88. OK, so 89. All right, so if it's 89, Born to Expire might have just dropped. Right. So we probably I met Eddie Leeway, knew of the band. But then when the album dropped, it became like basically like a God, God album. To, oh, yeah. To us. So I did three tours of Europe with Mucky Pup and recorded the Boy in a Man's World record. Great I shot record. the video for You Stink But I, I Love, Love You, you. Yeah. where you can see me as an 18-year-old kid in there. It's pretty fun, <laughs> 19 at that time. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, basically when we were in Europe, things uh, between the band members got, like, you know, heated up. And, you know, I look back on it now. We were kids. I mean, we were a bunch of kids, you know, just no idea what we're doing. You, you grow up now. I mean, you know, we were fighting a lot and everything, but, you know, I love Chris Milnes. We hang out, we see each other. Yeah. It's, it's all good. I mean, we're adults now, but when you're kids, you yeah. can't think in that same way. And, and, you know, it was just one of those things where I was kind of like, you know what? I don't, I want to do my own music and I don't want to, I want to be in a band where it's everybody has a say in it. And Mucky Pup was really Chris Milnes' band. Once Dan Nastasi had left, yeah. Sean Kilkenny came in. Yes. And then basically Chris was like, okay, you know, I'm the only, like me and my brother are the guys left. And I, I could see why he was, he was really good at printing t-shirts and design and marketing. And, you know, he knew what he was doing. Yeah. You know? Um, and I looked at him like he was in like a, like an older father figure to me, but like looking back, he was only 21, 22 yeah. you know? to me. It's like, wow. I mean, he really had it together at a young age. So no wonder he was able to do so much with that band. But sure. I was like, I want to do my own thing. And uh, me and Sean basically said, okay, me, you and John are going to start something. And in my mind, it was really just something that was a group of friends getting together and uh, drinking beer Smoking how, weed. Is that and just, how it usually happens? Yeah, but, Let's but, just but, get together and have fun, whatever. All right, then, but coming from a band that that had just toured Europe and made records that were out, you would think we would want to aspire to that. But, I mean, it wasn't really, that wasn't our mental yeah. state at the time. It was, let's just have some fun. Absolutely. And let's just make music. And then Danny Nastasi heard the music that we were playing and said, hey, I'm really interested in, like, jamming with you guys. And once he came in and then once we got our, like, permanent drummer we'd gone through a bunch of drummers uh everything kind of gelled really well and we could feel that the stuff we were doing was like creating a a good energy among our friends at least and it was 
different sounding for that time. Yeah. For sure. I, it was because we weren't following any rules. Right. We loved Murphy's Law. We loved Leeway. We loved the Bad Brains. We loved rap music. We yeah. loved reggae music. We loved all of it. And everyone had a say. Yeah. So this was like a really important reason why there's a lot of diversity on that record is everybody was basically being like, let's try this. And there was nobody going, no. Right. Everyone, on which one? The first one, the first EP. This is the first EP right into the Albro Kings. Like we all of that kind of just happened together. Yeah. Um, it, but it, it was it was very like, hey, I got an idea. Good. Yeah. And that was it. And it's like it was so free. You yeah. know, you could actually like just like without any boundaries. We were just writing music for us. And then we would finish practice and we would get drunk and go out and like just hang out as friends and everything. So it yeah. was like it was just a real fun time. Like This is now 1990 to 90, like two. Right. Well, who, well, well. The Warrant EP was signed to who? Was Road that Runner. Road Roadrunner? Because right. I know for a fact that Oldboro Kings was. Yes. Howie Abrams signed you. Right. So okay. Howie, uh, we had been drawing really well in Manhattan. So there was like, you know, we would play the Marquee, or we would play. I missed that club. Yeah, man. it was great. I mean, I we, missed that even, club. Even the Marquee, we would draw 120 people. And we were a demo band. Right. We played the Rage in uh, Spring Valley. You probably don't know that place. I but, know. Uh, Rockland County Club, where again, like we would be drawing like 100 people on a demo. Nobody else was doing that. Like we were getting so much support. That, no like, internet yet, kids. No, 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 no sharing, no, no social, nothing. No. This was phone calls to each yes. other. This was people actually talking to each other in school and talking to each other at work and saying, you got to see this band, Doggy Dog. Plastering flyers. Right, exactly. And I was good at that. So yeah. I, I love doing it. Um, so we I miss that shit, yeah, man. I mean, it's a whole different world now. But we drew a lot of people. It got us the attention uh, of a lot of people. And then we were playing a lot of shows with biohazard and then Billy from biohazard who they were already signed to roadrunner, uh, brought our tape, our demo to roadrunner in Europe and said, Hey, this is a band I like They're friends of mine. They're good. Yeah, yeah, Cause at that time that's urban discipline exactly. time frame. You got right. it. Yeah. So that tape made it back to Howie Abrams, who basically came to a show, saw us play. And to my recollection, it was literally like a couple of weeks and we were signing our deal. It was like a very quick. Wow. There wasn't a lot of like record label nothingness. It was Howie being like, you're the guys I want. I guess he went back to the label and he said, this is the band I'm signing yeah. along with Black Train Jack. Wow. Uh, we both got signed around the same time by Howie. Another band that had that, that had a little different, different, completely different sound, very melodic and. Absolutely. Ernie yeah. was on guitar coming from Token Entry. Yeah. So they had like hardcore roots, but they were definitely a, ahead of that pop punk sound that sure. would like would hit like two or three years later with Without Dan Offspring and all those bands. So I always loved Black Train Me Jack. Too. They were great guys. So, um, you know, basically once we got signed, we in 93, we did our first tour of Europe. And once the EP came out, it was like, okay, guys, we got you the Bad Brains tour. In so England. crazy. Bad Brains, the goats, and Doggy Dog. And it was like, holy shit, like the Bad Brains are like literally our favorite band. And now we're going to open for them on our first tour of Europe. Like things are looking yeah. you know, good for us. And and then they said, okay, when the Bad Brains tour ends, you're, you're going to do some dates with Seven Seconds and Big Drill Car. And we're like, I mean, this is ridiculous. Yeah. Like, yeah, how'd this even happen? Right. Like, are we here? Yeah. That's and, like a holy shit moment. Yeah, I know, because, you know, five years before, I was sitting in front of my turntable listening to these bands, just loving it, yeah. never thinking in a few years you're going to actually be hanging out with these guys. Yeah. Then when we came back from that tour, uh, we asked Daryl from Bad Brains to sing on our Albro Kings record, yes. we were right into the studio and he sang on Who's the King. And yes. it's obviously, you know, legendary 
you know, vocal part now. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite, I'm not even saying it because you're in front of me, Alboro Kings is in like my top, it's definitely in my top 10 of hardcore slash whatever extreme music records, well, period. I appreciate that. And it's, it's, it's classic, yeah. man. It, I think, you know, just the it's fact so that- It's so much fun. Yeah, it's just a fun record. We just didn't know what, like we knew what we were doing, but we didn't know what we were doing. We, we knew how to play music and record it, but we didn't know- that it would ever have an impact or anything. Oh and, man, it's you so know good. I'm going to jump ahead for one second. Twenty five years no, later, that's fine. We just did our our last leg of our 2019 tour was the Allboro Kings 25th anniversary. So crazy tour of Europe. It was uh, I think ten countries, and almost all the shows were either packed or sold out. And every night, like it was just overwhelming how many people would come up and say like. I learned to speak English because of that that album, or I learned to play bass because of that album. And it's like to process literally a thousand people telling you how important that album is. Like it was like I I almost like broke down emotionally a few times because it it was like I never realized that I could do something that would actually like affect affect someone's life. You know, and twenty five years later, they got their kids with them, and they're going. You know, I wanted my kid. Beautiful thing, man. Yes, so it's one of the things I'm most proud of. Is is not the success that to me affecting people is success. Sure, not record sales to to some degree. It is, but I measure you know human human reaction to things as, as a more important. Thing. I mean, um, it's literally people walking around a changed person because of that album. And and it's hard for me to accept. I, but I, I'm it's, sure. It's but something it's that I take home is. with me and I, and I from these tours. And, and this one was really powerful. I have to say, like, we j- we played the entire album in full Great. every night. And, and then we did, like, a bunch of covers from the 90s that we thought were fun, like Just Another Victim by uh, oh, House, House of Pain. Pain and Everlast. Exactly. Yeah. So we did that House as Pain a cover. And Helmet. Helmet, exactly. And we did... Uh, Oh man, we did. Um, I think we did a Green Day song just for fun. We did. Uh, I don't know. We did a Portishead song. Because, I love Portishead. That yeah. dummy record is yeah. incredible. We did, uh, we did Wandering um, Star. Awesome. Yeah. So it was like John's idea. I was like, why are we going to play a mellow song? But it, it ended up being very, very cool. So John's idea of doing these '90s songs with the Al- Albro Kings record was like literally a time capsule. Yeah, that's so, that's a great idea. Shout uh, out to John for the idea. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> comes up with good ones. So I'm going to jump back now. We'll go back down after 94. We released the record and Biohazard basically said, Hey, we're going to return the favor. You guys took us to Europe as monkey pup. We're going to take you to Europe on our tour. And that's the tour that just broke doggy dog. I mean, without that enough, I don't think everything would have happened after that. Really? Biohazard were so hot at the time that we were just literally playing to, you know, a thousand people a night, packed clubs every night. And the people were so open, you know, this is 94 now. And most of them did not even know who Doggy Dog was, but the vibe that we brought out was just like a party vibe. And and it got everybody so perfectly psyched for Biohazard that every night they just came out and destroyed. But it, it, it built, it started building us up. And by the time we finished that tour, which was like six weeks long, I mean, we had made a pretty good impact over mainstream Europe. And at the same time, MTV started playing our, uh, no front and who's the King video yeah. really heavily, heavily. And then they said, all right, no fronts is like doing well, but we, we, I think if we do a remix, we might actually like get better traction. So they, they got dude, Jam Master J. Dude, I, I wanted to ask you about that, but I'm glad you just brought it up. Yeah. 
Were you in the studio? How yeah. how did that all go down? Rest in peace, Jam Master yeah. Jay. Uh, it was uh, Howie Abrams, of course, that had the connection to Jam Master Jay. Right. And, and he was the one who had the idea, um, I'm pretty sure, that, you know, well, let's get you in the studio with Jam Master Jay. So, Dude, that's incredible, man. Yeah, it was, an, it was just amazing because I was, you know, such a huge early Run DMC fan. I mean, who wouldn't be? Yeah, who Everybody was. was. Yeah. Everybody. That, they were the sound of... Of you know rap in the in the early uh, mid eighties. Oh, so, dude, you know, and like the catalyst of, of yeah, forget rock box. I'll never forget it's, hearing that it's for this ridiculous. first time. You know, that was course. the heaviest shit ever. Yeah. Um, so the first night we worked with uh, Jam Master J, we were in a rehearsal studio. It was probably either the night before or very close to the re- recording time. Um, and Jam Master J came in the studio, heard what we were doing. Made some suggestions like try a drum beat like this, try a drum beat like that. He really didn't have a lot to say musically. It was more about like the beat and the tempo that he wanted to kind of play with. Very mellow, very cool. Wasn't trying to like make it his thing, was letting us do what we wanted. He just put his input in. Um, Then flash forward a day or two, we we went to the studio to record it. And the recording went really easily, really easy. And... Jam Master Jay, like, you know, he was on his phone or what on the phone uh back then and he was he was taking some notes, but he was in there, he was in the control room the whole day, absolutely cool. We made the song, said goodbye, and that was it. I never saw him again or really? talked to him again. Not me personally, but I, I the experience of working with him and having like two nights to like be, you know, working with a legend. Dude, like, yeah, it was like, man. It was unbelievable. And it was our first real collaboration with, you know, somebody doing like a, mic, a remix of one yeah. of our songs and, and ended up becoming a top 10 single in England. It's awesome. And it ended up being a, a video hit on MTV that we won the MTV award. Crazy. Best New Artist 95. We beat Alanis Morissette, Weezer, and Portishead. Dude. And uh, like, what? Here we go. Here's another, like, what? The fuck? How did a band... Especially in 95, you beat out Alanis Morrison who put out Jagged Little Pill. That right there is just stupid to even think about. So when people say, like, how how could that happen? How could an unknown band from New New Jersey beat acts like, you know, Weezer, Portishead, and and Alanis Morissette, and a German band called H-Blocks, who we loved as well? Um, And the reason was the momentum. Biohazard started the momentum. We got played on MTV so much... Then we played one of the biggest shows in Europe called Dynamo 95 Festival, which was over 120,000 people. And it was basically the pinnacle of 90s crossover of metal and thrash and punk and hardcore. Everybody was there. And that was, we killed it. Yeah. After that, basically everybody in Europe was on our team. I always wondered, I would, because obviously I was never in a band or anything, but I always wondered what that must feel like. You're looking out at a sea of people to the point where you can't see past the people and you're playing in front of all of them. And they're all like, that must be an indescribable feeling, dude. It is. I mean, honestly, it like, was, does that get, oh, cause I know that you guys have toured and you guys always tour and you guys are huge in Europe and you guys do all this stuff. Like when you play in front of that, like, does it get, it, I mean, it's a stupid question and I'm not even, I don't have anything you know, written down, but th- does that ever get old? Like, like, no, no, it never gets old because it's got to be an incredible feeling. It all depends on how grateful you are. And I'm super grateful. Right. So yeah. when I look out and I'm like, I, I mean, I just am grateful. Of course you get nervous. I mean, I, I think before dynamo, I threw up right next to the stage when I looked out and, and I just was like, 
your nerves are just like, it's an excitement, of but course. you're just like, you know, holy, you know, I, I don't worry about missing a note. Right. I don't. You can you clean know, that up and just keep it going. I don't worry about any of that. I'll, what I worry about is thinking too much while I'm playing. Right. And so when you get distracted as you're trying to play, your your mind wanders and you start missing notes or right. something like that. And that's what I worry you're about. playing a different song. Yeah. Concentrate. <laughs> yeah. And it's easy to lose your concentration on big stages in front of people. But I'll say the same thing. Like we just played, I'm going to fast forward again. We just played Starland Ballroom with Life of Agony right. a few weeks ago. And I looked in the crowd and I, it was people I knew all in the front and I'm more nervous playing in front of somebody when I know who you yeah. are. If you're playing in front of a sea of people, I mean, you, it's a blur, you know, you really yeah. can't even see who's who, right. especially when you're like 40 feet away with the barrier. You yeah. Know, and it's over the air. This. Yeah. So it, it's less nerve wracking than you might think. I, I actually enjoy it. I love big festivals. I love like the air blowing in your face and, and smiling and, you know, having fun. Uh, but it doesn't get old. I'm, I, I haven't given up yet. And no. it's been 30 years. Uh, well, no, now it's going to be 32 years yeah, coming up since the different. first Mucky Pup tour. Yeah. And I've toured Europe every year uh, since then. And that's like something I'm super proud of, like that the, this music and these friends that we've done have allowed us to continue for so long. And the yeah. phone keeps ringing and people keep needing more of it. And that's a beautiful thing. I mean, it, even if I wanted to stop, I don't have the the choice unless right. I quit. But it's otherwise they're not going to just say goodbye. So yeah. after Albro Kings, that's when things kind of changed a lot for Doggy Dog. We we kind of settled in and we wrote quickly, quickly the Play Games record. And this was a record that like it was like hurry up and get this one out because you had such a big success. We can't right. wait years. So it was a lot different. We went into this record with no material. We had to start from scratch and Danny had left the band at that point right? because he wasn't able to put in the kind of touring. I think in 90, between 94 and 95, we played hundreds of shows in Europe wow. and he was running his own company. He had sure. newborn kids. Yeah. There was just no way he was going to do it. So when that tour finally ended and we said, okay, let's get into the studio. It was like Danny came back and we, we thought it would be a great idea, but for some reason we were like now on different levels, right. you know, and we felt like we were advancing musically in a slightly different direction. And, and, you know, it, it, it just, for some reason didn't gel a lot of that music. I kind of turned out really quickly. I was right. really full of ideas, but they were more almost pop right. and punk okay. influenced yeah. as opposed to like, as like dirty as we had been on the first two records right. we were more hardcore it was just like i was feeling so many influences from touring i was feeling so many influences from the music that was coming out at the time yeah you got songs like you know rocky and isms and and they were well-received songs great. They're great. Uh, but they were different and when we when we started that tour we were perceived now as like a pop band right and uh it we lost a lot of our initial uh fans because right. of it and you know, I, I don't regret anything. It's just the way people are. Your and, band you know, evolved. Yeah, it's we evolved a, and know. we didn't take everyone with us. We had a whole different group of people that right. were now liking us. The problem is, is when that album ended, we were like, that's it. We're, we need time now. We don't want to rush a record. Right. And we But I got to ask you yeah, something. Please. Oh, I want to talk about two things about Play Games too. So keep going. I might just bring it up right now. How was it and how did this whole thing come about? You guys working with the RZA from right. the Wu-Tang yeah. Clan. This is something I should mention. So Because it's the Wu-Tang yeah. Clan, man. <laughs> right. So when we had had good success using Jam Master J on a track or, yeah. or a remix, 
the label uh, and Howie, we had a pretty substantial budget for play games. They were expecting to sell a lot of records and they were like, basically, there's really no limit to what we'll spend. So uh, you can work with anyone you want is what we were told. Sick. So we thought, okay, who do we want to work with? We talked about it and we agreed that. Uh, we wanted to work with Ronnie James Dio because John had, had written some lyrics and he thought it sounded like something Dio would be great at. And of course, I'm a huge Dio fan and, you know, we love metal and we have a metal roots. And so sure. we asked him uh, or the label asked him and he said, absolutely. And, so and he flew crazy. out and we spent an entire day in the studio uh, hanging with Ronnie James Dio, who really only sang for probably 30 minutes. And right. then we were like, now just hang with us. We'll pay, you know, yeah. for, for, we're going to hang out. And we did. And he didn't run out of there. He sat there for hours just talking about everything, whatever we wanted to talk about, as nice as it gets, hugs and kisses, great guy, absolutely great. Now, then it was like, okay, who else do you want to work with? And it was John's idea at the time, I want to work with the RZA. John is always ahead in terms of that. The label didn't even know who the RZA was. Of course, Howie Abrams did, but like, you know, the guys with the money and everything were like, who's the RZA? And it was funny because, you know, he, he's the leader of the Wu-Tang, basically. But, like, yeah. uh, they said, okay, if you want this RZA guy, you know, we'll pay whatever yeah, it is. Yeah, this RZA guy, whoever this so guy is. It was a one night in the studio. We did it in the same studio we did where, with Jam Master J in awesome. New York. And he came what in. What studio was that? Was it in New York? Yeah, it was in Manhattan. Okay. But I, like, right off the top of my head, I can't I remember. Know, Somebody will remember and they'll I write I know, big deal. Uh, Read so, the line of notes. So he... he um, he came in and we had already been there for a few hours before him, like basically just getting sounds together and preparing. And he kind of walked in and he he was more concerned with like lyrics with John. So him and John were really powwowing. And then when he heard what we were playing, he like shaped it. So there's uh, it was absolutely an amazing experience because he was he was cool. He wasn't weird or crazy or uninterested, disinterested or anything. Yeah. He was he was there. He's to, a businessman. Yeah. Like he's a legit businessman. And he did a great job. He he directed the band. We got a hot track. He was behind the controls. He was taking care of it. He didn't he didn't engineer, but he was there, like making sure everything was done right. And we had a, a really good experience. He was supposed to mix the song, but disappeared. Okay. So we ended up mixing it. You know, he was probably putting out another solo. Probably by the, the next day. Yeah. What was interesting about it that no one's ever heard is the outtakes from that session. There's an entire CD that we call the Woo Dog, and it's basically just. The RZA freestyling for like 30 minutes over doggy dog jamming. And it's, to me, it's priceless. It's never been put out. You know, it's just. Why wouldn't you put that out? Well, I don't know. Because. Well, would you need permission? Yeah. Right. You probably need permission. You probably have to give them a little kickback. Yeah. The RZA, but. I'm sure people would love to hear yeah. that. I want to hear yeah. that. One day I'll make sure I'll I'll find it. it actually, I have it on a CD somewhere, but it, it doesn't exist out in the world yet. No, because wow. we all vow we weren't going to like put it out, and we didn't share it with anyone that could have put it out. But it's a the Woo Dog uh, tape, uh, which it first came out on, is legendary. So wow, uh, very cool. That was a, that. Yeah, these experiences were just incredible. So. When we finished that whole record, it was like, all right, we want to scale down. We're, we're tired of the saxophone. Um, it was at this period, 97, uh, where I first did my first track in soundtrack music. Okay. Dog Eat Dog did a remix. We came out with a remix of the RZA song called Step Right In. Right. We did it for the X Games uh, soundtrack. Okay. 
So if if you go back and you look at X Games soundtrack '97, it's a green CD. It's got a lot of bands, Cypress Hill, Sugar Ray. I mean, a lot of bands of the time are on it, and you'll hear a, a completely different remix that that wasn't on the record. And when I was in that studio, I got asked to do a track for a, 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 a compilation record called For Lucio Fulci, A Symphony of Fear. Mm. And it's from Italian horror director Lucio Fulci, famous sure. for Zombie, The Beyond, House by the Cemetery, uh, a lot of other movies, over 50 movies. And I said, hey, this is a studio I think that would be perfect. The guy was engineering the, the doggy dog stuff. I was like, hey, you know, would you be interested in doing this track? And he said, yeah. So it was like, Boom, in. I did the track. My my track I did was a cover of a movie Lucio did called Contraband in 1980. He made okay. it directly after Zombie. Nice. And it's like a, it's called The Smuggler as well. But it's basically like a, a violent uh, mob, you know, picture. It's not okay. a horror movie, but there's a lot of gore in it. And I yeah. highly recommend seeing Contraband if you okay. haven't seen I, it. I don't think I've ever seen it. So I did the music for that. And that album came out and, and that was my first kind of soundtrack uh, release, which I was really excited about. It came out really good. So 99, Doggy Dogs worked for, you know, over a year in the studio making a new record called Ant. Yeah. And it was what we would call our more most experimental record. We were like, let's yeah. get away. Let's try different sounds. Let's try different mixes. Let's get John in the vocal booth and really have him sing. And yeah. like, you know, we spent a long time on it, but when it's three years in between records and it finally comes out yeah. and you realize our audience moved on, you know, and they yeah. didn't wait three years for that's us. That's a weird time frame too. In music, you're talking what year? 99. That's very new metal was huge. There's a very weird time. Yeah. So yeah, we didn't all that in. didn't help either. No, we didn't fit in. We came out with one video for expect the unexpected and it got right. some good MTV play. Yeah. But Basically, as soon as that ran its course, the label was like, okay, you know, start another record. And we're like, hey. What label are you on then? Roadrunner. You're still on Roadrunner. So okay. we were like, we just, we just literally spent a year in the studio and only got like four months of touring out of it. And now yeah. like, we, like we got no ideas. We're not ready to go in the studio again. Right. You know, we thought it was going to be a lot more push. And yeah. when, what happened was in like 2000. Roadrunner was bought, I believe, by Warner Brothers right. or acquired by them. Something like that. And all the staff changed. And when Howie Abrams left Roadrunner... Shit done changed. We didn't have anybody that cared about Doggy Dog anymore, to right. be honest with you. Like, yeah. you know, we didn't have our main support system there. So basically, no one at Roadrunner wanted to really have anything to do with us. They just didn't get us and, and they didn't care about us. And, you know, it, it, it's the way things go. Yeah. So that was where things started, like becoming a little difficult for doggy dog. We had been making demos. We had, you know, signed with a new management label that we, we said we're going to, they're going to get us a new label and all of this. In the meantime, doggy dog was asked to be on a compilation record called New York's hardest. Yes. Uh, and when we went to record two new songs, uh, for some reason, John wasn't unable to be involved with it. So we didn't want to call it Doggy Dog, so we decided to call it Alboro Kings. Yes. So we made, that was where Alboro Kings first came on the scene. This is 2001, 2002. Doggy Dog is on a hiatus. Let's keep making music. Yeah. So I loved getting back in the studio with Dan and writing, and it was like a breath of fresh air. And we decided, we 
sent that demo. We made a demo and we sent it to a friend of ours who worked as an intern at Century Media in Europe and basically pestered them so much that they finally said, fine, we'll sign your, your friend's band. Yeah. So we ended up getting signed to Century Media for a one record deal. Okay. Me, Danny, Sean, and John Milnes went back in the studio, and it was honestly one of the most free writing experiences ever again. Once again, back again. Yeah. Back like we were doing the Albro Kings. Where That's like, awesome. There was no pressure to succeed. There was just having fun. And you realized me and Danny just worked really well. And Sean, uh, the three of us together, like, we're, we're just in sync. And yeah. we, we made a record that was kind of what I consider now the true, like, sequel to Albro Kings right. album. We kept that same attitude. And unfortunately... Our audience wasn't there, and and Century Media did nearly no promotion. We had one great tour. It was called the uh, Resistance Tour, okay. 2002, Europe. It was uh, Biohazard, Agnostic Front, oh, man. Hatebreed, Oof. Born from Pain, wow. All Burrow Kings, and I know I'm missing at least one or two other bands. I apologize. I can't think off the top of my head, but it was an amazing tour. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, on that tour, I got to be really friendly uh, with Mike Gallo, uh, yeah. being agnostic, all the guys in Hatebreed. Like, you know, we, we knew them, but we didn't know them. We already knew Biohazard. We were on the bus with them. So it was like old times again. Yeah. Uh, and it was just an amazing, like, kind of you know, return to the roots. So if anyone hasn't heard All Bro Kings just for the fun of it, yeah. um, I'm pretty sure it's on Spotify, but it's definitely on YouTube and e easy to hear. Uh, absolutely still one of my favorite records. Yeah, I got to revisit it too. I haven't listened to it in a long time. So much fun. Um, but after that, things actually like fell back into Doggy Dog's uh, corner again. We ended up meeting a, a management uh, agency in in. Germany, who picked us up, and he was our booking agent as well, and we started playing a lot, and he got us back in the studio, and we, we were with um, Klaus Grapke, who was a, a pro skater and had a band in, in Europe that was you know doing pretty well in the 90s, so he knew Doggy Dog well, and he was like, I want to produce your record, it would be awesome, got us into a studio, did it for like next to nothing wow. so that we could play shows and pay for some studio time or whatever. We, we kind of produced it together and the record came out. It was called walk with me. Yeah. 2006 release. Yeah. I'm hip. Cool. It took I a know, couple years. I know. I know the doggy dog discography. Cool. But what was great <laughs> about that record that most people don't know, it got removed from Spotify for some reason. You can hear every track on YouTube, but it, right. it was our least distributed record. And we, I mean, we weren't on a real label. It was nuclear blast in, in Germany yeah. that was distributing it. So you'll see a little NB on the thing, uh, but basically it was it was put out by uh, you know our management company and making that record. We were on a farm in Germany, like no contact, no internet, really? no phones, no nothing. On a Just, farm, it was like in the <laughs> middle of a field of corn. Really? Yeah. It was. It, we were isolated. We were in, in uh, Bielefeld or near Bielefeld called Gutersloh, and just a little little you know, town in Germany. And so that isolation, we were just there to work. That's How long it. were you there for? I think it was over like, uh, like a whole summer. So it was, it was wow. like a three to four month kind of back and forth. Okay. Um, but it was really, again, one of the most like easy free records to make. It was just like, we came in with like 
eight or 10, like half written ideas and everything just came alive in the studio. And some of the songs on the album we wrote in the studio, but it was no pressure. It was right. no label, yeah. no nothing. Uh, not worried about beautiful. Yeah, it was beautiful. It was just a bunch of friends. We here to make a record and having the producer there who, who was just the glue, he came up with so many great ideas yeah. and, and it was just so much fun. I know a lot of people haven't heard it, but great record. Walk with me, walk with me 2006. Unfortunately, during the making of that record is where Sean left doggy dog. He had been okay. my partner for, you know, 20 years in the band, but unfortunately, you know, it just, it, it just ended for him there. He just didn't want to go on anymore. He, you know, it, it's not easy, you yeah. know, I mean, you're living in hotels and you're oh, constantly yeah, they road dogs. Yeah. It's not easy. Just no. like you were saying earlier, like you're a bunch of kids in a van in Europe. You really get to know each other. And plus, you're in close quarters. You want to you want to cannibalize yeah. each other after a while. Yeah. Now, oh, I, now I get it. Now put twenty years on there, and you're like, I'm. I, I, some people will get tired of it. Sure. And that's why bands don't stay together forever. Yeah. But you know, I love doing it. I love making music, and so I, I me and John and Brandon were like, okay, I'm. You know, we got a new guitar player, and we continued. So, um, basically, you know. Jumping ahead, touring, 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 doggy dog. Constantly, now. you guys are always yeah, touring. We toured every year, and you know we didn't have a label um, or anything, but we we knew we had to make some new music at some point. So in two thousand and five, fifteen, I'm sorry, two thousand fifteen, yeah. nine years after we finally started the process of making new music again. Um, and for some reason, like our, our audience in Europe started going up again. And yeah. I don't know why, but I mean, it's like everything happens, you know, a big, in, a in a big circle that it was coming, but yeah. bands from the nineties were starting to get hot again and yeah. we were bubbling a little bit. So all of a sudden we started demoing a couple songs and a, la a label or two started, uh, getting interested in doggy dog again. And the first label that threw a contract down. It was a pretty decent deal. They're called Metalville Records in Germany. Okay. And they said, okay, we want to do an EP immediately. And it was like starting over for us. Okay. We had the Warren EP in 93. Now we got the brand new breed EP. Yeah. And we, it, we did it. It came out great. We were very happy with it and put it out there just to test the waters. And the waters were good. Well, according good. to the label, yeah. people still care, still interest there. Okay. So now we got to get Doggy Dog in the studio to record another full length record. Right. That's part of our contract. That's what I'm here to do. I'm right. a signed artist. I'm going to make this record. Sure. Um, but that process takes a long time, especially when you're doing it in Switzerland. Yeah. Um, it's expensive and it's time consuming. Yeah. Our guitar player is from Switzerland yeah. and he found the studio. We had tried a few different studios, but we just weren't finding like the right combination of the, the, the location, the place and the, the, producer and engineer we need as the glue for the band we right. need somebody in between all of us to doesn't john of... live somewhere over there too no roger does but uh john is in uh virginia now oh okay didn't did he used to live overseas nope. uh, so i'm getting something no done. none of us lived in europe but a lot of people thought we did because we were there so much gotcha um so now bringing us right to to now we, we just came out with alboro kings live which is a two-disc both DVD, live DVD, and live CD. Awesome. And it's the first live album we put out. Um, I really like the DVD because it's two full shows. So if right. you, you know, want to see what Doggy Dog sounds like playing the full Albro Kings record and then some of the other songs, you've got, uh, we played Vacken Festival in Germany, which is you know, huge. Yeah. Um, so that's one of the shows. And then the other one's uh, from the opening night of Rock and Ring. So kind of two, two good shows on there. 
that bridges the gap while we're making this record. So we've recorded probably around eight songs. A done rap? No. No. But no vocals, no, no vocals, music. Scratch right. vocals, scratch guitars, drum and bass. Um, and we're going back in the studio first week of April to continue. So we're still on target for a 2020 release of the new Doggy Dog record. Any working titles? No working titles at no. all. We have been playing some of the songs uh, live, probably all eight of the ones that we've recorded um, basic tracks for. And uh, we've had some great reactions. I mean, people awesome. who have never heard these songs, I mean, there's a circle pit going and we're like, I think we're doing something right. Right. That's a so, beautiful thing. When the, when people aren't standing there with their arms folded, staring at you, yeah. and when they, they, they're moving, yeah, you're it, on to it's always tough with new songs, but oh yeah, you know, it, you got to do it. And what we do is we come up with an idea in the studio, writing it, and we literally go right onto the stage, even with half done ideas, and we we see what the reaction is. And yeah. sometimes that's a scary thing to do because the song can just fall apart in the middle of the show. Sure. Because it's the first time we're playing it, but that's the only opportunity we have to work on this stuff. We're yeah. not a normal band where we can get together once a week and rehearse. It's, it just doesn't happen, right. you know? And, I, you know, some bands, like I talked to, to Mike Gallo the other day, and he's like, we rehearse. And I'm like, I can't believe Agnostic Front even needs to rehearse. Yeah. Well, they're a machine. Many, yeah, they are a machine. So why rehearse? That's the way we look because at it. Because they remain a machine because they rehearse. Yeah, and they do. And God bless them. But yeah. like, we just don't have that opportunity with everyone living so far away. So... That's that's where Doggy Dog is right now. We're in our our like winter hibernation, getting ready. We already have a lot of festivals, some really good ones booked, a lot of uh, um, studio time and shows. So 2020 is going to be another important big year for Doggy Crazy. Dog. The most important thing is the new record finally will will get out, and that it, you you know going ten years between LPs yeah is like death for a lot of bands. Sure. But I think that but there's something with you guys, man. Like you're always out there, and there's, I mean, something is right. You guys left a, you you made a mark that resonates. I mean, we just said that about the Old Borough Kings record. How many people have told you it changed yeah. their life? So you make that mark, man, and you know you, you it's, it's you got friends for life. Yeah, yeah. And except I, for that weird ninety nine two thousand time where yeah. everyone was fucked up. Yeah, you know what? I I think people <laughs> also they when you look back. It's a whole different perspective, of you know, course. and you could look back and be like, you know what? I hated Amped in 99, but it's 20 years later. And yeah. now I see what the guys were trying to do. <laughs> it was a little ahead of its time. It wasn't the sound for that time, but it was like something that I think con contains some of our best songs, best hooks and melodies. And, yeah. you know, it, it just at the time, it just didn't connect. So right. that's the way music is. And I, I guarantee every band has that one record that just didn't work. Of but course. people then one day are like, that's my favorite. Of you know, course. Yeah, so man. I'm a fan of music just like everyone else. So like we're done with Doggy Dog. Okay. Um, but so let's go back into the soundtrack stuff just to yes yeah, continue. So that record I did in 99. Which one? Uh, uh, in, in 97 was the For Luchu Fulci, a, a Symphony of Fear. That led me to getting a phone call to the Paora Lucio Fulci uh, remembered documentary that came out in 2008 or okay. 2009. The guy heard my track on that record, Mike Baronis, and he said, I want you to do five songs for me. So I recorded it, and that... Uh, was used as the kind of menu screens for the documentary. There's no music in the actual documentary. It's just literally people talking. Right. So there's no background music, but it's, it, you know, the, he said, I want to produce 200 CDs 
So we made 200. They all got distributed. 200 doesn't last very long. Right. And the funny thing is somebody writes me and brought, brought it to my attention recently and said, have you checked eBay? And I saw that people are selling that CD now. And they're asking like seventy-five to a hundred dollars. Really? CD. Yeah. I'm like, what? so what's the name of the documentary? Paora Lucio Fulci remembered. Where can people watch see? That's on. I don't know if you could see it, but it's definitely on like cheap on Amazon and okay. eBay. I mean, it's all over. They, okay. There's plenty of just so that people, you know, no. So everything leads to something else. Sure. And that, that Mike Barona's thing led to my friend Stephen Romano, who uh, had worked so cool. also on that first album, saying, "Hey, I'm doing horror comics now." With Ebon Press, my new uh, label, uh, we're doing um, your new, new label. No, that's his. His new. Okay, that's, that's this right here. Uh, um, I, it doesn't say it, but okay. Ebon Press. Anyway, okay. they acquired all the rights to the Lucio Fulci films and are turning them all into comic books. That's so awesome, dude! Yeah, it is amazing, and the artwork is sick. It's yeah, incredible. it is. Uh, and then he he said, "Hey, it would, it would be a great idea if we could include like a soundtrack with one of the comic books. Would you be interested in doing that?" I was like, "Absolutely," but I have no idea where I'm going to do this. Like, where I don't know who to call, and I just like it was like it was meant to be a friend of mine uh, named Walt. Christina had a studio, has a studio called Silk City Grooves. It's in uh, Patterson. And he's like, why don't you check out my studio? I went there and I'm like, this is it. Like, this is the place. Yeah. You're my guy. And we started recording the zombie uh, soundtrack for the comic book for these guys. And Fulci's Inferno. Yeah. So. So crazy. It, the music just started coming out really well. And I, I just was like, this is what I want to do. And Walt just like could read my mind and like, we just, just perfect production team, you know, like, yeah. So then they came out with this other comic soon after called bottom feeder, which is uh, an original, not based on any movie or anything, right. an original comic by the guys, uh, Sean, uh, and, and, uh, he, I think it was originally Sean's idea, uh, from Ebon, Sean Lewis. And uh, Stephen Romano. And uh, I said to them, hey, you know what? I love what you guys are doing so much. I'm going to just do it for free for you. And wow. I'm going to do the bottom feeder for you because I just want to do it because it's so cool. Yeah. So I walked in the studio and I just churned this one out and it was like magic. It just came out of thin air and it was like five songs that are in one. And they put that in the comic and... It, it, I, I like I could feel myself like getting better at doing this soundtrack work. Yeah. So then I went back in and I did the last track on this zombie versus ape. And then I wrapped up these two soundtracks and I said to Walt, it went so well. I'm ready to do my solo record now with you. Wow. Okay. So a year ago, <laughs> I started my solo record, which it, a lot of people would say, oh, is it hardcore? Is it punk? What is it? And I'm like, it doesn't really have a genre. It's almost somewhere between synth wave and horror soundtrack. It's okay. a lot of synthesizers. There's guitar and bass on it, no vocals. But it, these are like ideas that I, I've wanted to like do for 20 plus years. Yeah, you're a huge horror guy. Yeah. So this is, but now we don't have to get very into it because I'm sure we could talk for 17 <laughs> hours about it. For sure. Without a doubt. Because I know I can and between the both of us, it would be ridiculous. But like... Like you can just like great glaze over yeah. like what got you originally into like there was always that there's that stepping stone. Yep. What because I remember when I was like this this metalhead kid that got me into the hardcore scene. I know exactly the moment. Yeah. 
What was that with you with horror stuff? Well, I think it was first the between 19, let's say 78 and 1983. Yeah. It, you, if you remember that time period, there were like five new horror movies a week coming out, you yep. know? So you couldn't go anywhere without... It, it was a big boom in horror, sure. slasher movies especially, post-Halloween, post-Friday the 13th. It, yeah. it was it just every week they would come out. So when the newspaper came, there was a section, and when you would open it, it was advertising all the horror movies for that week. Now, I was too young to go. I'm talking a kid of around you know, 10, 11 years old. Right. But I, the artwork and everything just fascinated me. I, I wanted to know what sure. was going on. But Big time with the artwork. Yeah. Me too. So, which is why I'm such a huge poster yeah. collector as well. Because those images were so great back then. And what so many young people today probably just don't, will never know that feeling of seeing like artwork on posters as opposed to like, faces of the actors that are on it you right. know and and or something on their phone and not a physical yeah. thing like i was telling you what i just bought and i just got like i've been on this kick lately and i got this awesome mother's day poster and i'm like this is legit this is 40 years old this piece yeah. of paper is 40 years old yeah. somebody can care less about it but for me mm-hmm. it's like i feel like a kid yeah it was just good shit i man. agree it's like preserving that memory. You Absolutely. Know? Now I have it. I can look at it anytime I want. Yep. It's the real deal. I hung it in my bedroom yeah. before I came uh, here. <laughs> if I could, I'd hang every single poster, I but I can't do it, but I love them. And even if they're in a pile, I, I'm still, I still buy posters all the time. I see you all the time on Instagram. Yeah. I look at your stuff. I'm like, that's awesome. Yeah. Like all of that stuff. I love it. And I've, I've been collecting now in between 1986 and 1994. I worked in two video stores. Oh, that's where you get all the promotional right. stuff. So I, got, oh I took God. every horror thing. I took every like, you know, those videotapes they would send to the place like, like as a promo. Yeah. I would take them. So I don't like, blame you. Yeah. I would have jacked all oh, that stuff. I, every time like the, the, new child's play would come out. They'd send like a doll of, of Chucky. Oh, that's mine. Like I w- they wouldn't even hit the floor. Like I would yeah. take it before. Cause I had to have this stuff. You still have it. all this stuff. I have a lot of it. I'm Good. really a lot of it. I, I, I'd say I'd probably like two to 300 video posters, just like from the posters that came in. Yeah. Um, and, and so many original one sheets, but uh, you know, the promo material, Every like ten years, I'll like find a box and like open it and be like, "Oh my god!" Like yeah. I forgot I even had this stuff, and wow. it's cool to like relive those memories. But those sure. years uh, where where literally everything was on VHS, yeah, I watched everything. Yeah. Not only in the store that I worked at, but I would go to every other video mom and pop store and I would rent every movie that was sure. that they had, all the horror stuff. Yeah, and I just overloaded and overloaded, and like you could watch. Three or four a, a night, you know. I Easily, mean, ninety man. minutes a piece, sure. five hours of, of drinking beer and watching movies. And when during the early years of, of Doggy Dog, when we first got together, like in the early nineties, uh, during the writing phase, me and Sean especially would sit and watch movies every day with each other, and and just he would just like. I'd bring stuff home from the store and be like, all right, we're watching this and this. And he didn't know what they were, but yeah. it was fun. And we would review them and have fun with them. And like, you know, these it's just horror movies have always been there with me. Yeah, you know? me too. And it, since I was a kid and, and when a, you, your first VCR came out and you ran to the store and it was like all these boxes and you didn't know what they were because yeah. all you had to go on was basically the title and, and the, the picture. Artwork. That's yeah. it. The artwork on the box. You could read the back, but it's like, is this... 
enough to make me want right. to see it. Sometimes it would be awesome artwork, but the movie would stink. Mm-hmm. You know, you would get the stinkers every oh, now yeah. and then. I, I mean, of course, but that was part of the fun of it. And <laughs> yeah. we didn't care as much because you didn't have that much choice. I mean, you had the videotapes to rent, but I mean, it wasn't like streaming TV like no, we have today, you know? Not so, not at all. you know, I, I was just like, would read, you know, Fangoria magazine Me and too. other kinds of fanzines and and see the titles of the movie. So yeah. like sometimes I would be like, I, I heard of that one, you know, let's get it. Did you collect any Fangorias? Oh yeah. I have them all. You all do? Yeah. I have all the like the original, oh, like let's say first hundred. Wow. All of them. And then Jesus after a hundred, you see me starting to like get a little less and less like as they go on. But like I I kick myself in the ass because I had Close to probably the first hundred or so, and I fucking sold them. Yeah. Well, oh, the bro. good news is most of them are affordable and gettable again. Right. Like some of them aren't. A couple. The first, like in the first twenty, you might have two or three that are going to be in the fifty dollar range or something. Yeah. There's you know? one. There's one with Spock on the front. Yeah. That's I don't know. Number two. I'm pretty two. sure. Two or three. That's up there though. Yeah. For some reason. Wow. Last I looked, for some reason that for some reason that one is like. Up there. It's usually the zombie issue. Yeah. Uh and the motel hell issue. Yes. Um, which of luckily I have. And there was the spin-off Gore Zone. Yeah. That, that. And I have all, all the all the original Gore Zones. I mean, I was a, a big magazine collector. A lot of people Me don't too. realize Me too. this is the only way you were gonna find out about movies, yeah. new horror movies. Yeah. There was no internet. There was no way. You went to horror conventions and talked to people, you yeah. could talk to dealers, you read uh, horror magazines and that's it and yeah. uh, I love the fact that I was able to do that I remember reading about movies you know for years that I wasn't able to see because there was no no way like, no way there was yeah. no, you know you would have to go to a convention and and get a third generation bootleg before you yeah. were going to see some of this Italian horror and it was blurry as hell and we loved it yeah didn't matter it was a fun it was the hunt and you finally got it and you, it was like a whole thing sure so I, I always found like horror just felt like the most exciting genre to me. It was, yeah, me it too. Was, I, I tell people, they like, why do you like it? I'm like, it's like a roller coaster. You, it is. You're going to have fun, and sometimes it's going to be disappointing, and sometimes it's going to be great, and, yeah. you know, it's it, you know you're going to be fine at the end of it. Of so it, it's a safe ride. I'm not a violent person. Me and neither. I, and I found that almost every horror fan I've ever met in my life has been the nicest people in the world. Dude, look at the conventions we go to. There's, there's never been a fight no. that I've seen, not once. Right. So not once. Maybe v- watching horror movies is a, is a way to vent that stuff out of your maybe. system. And maybe people who don't watch horror movies have a... a maybe they you know, should start. Yeah, maybe they, they have a lot of pent-up anger and things yeah. like that. So watching people get killed for fake... Yeah. It's like a kind of fun release. Yeah. And I, I you know, know everyone. You know, like I walk around with my child and it's like completely feel completely safe with it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And she loves that stuff too. Kids today, they get it more than ever, oh, you know, yeah. and they're younger than ever being exposed to all of it. I don't know if that's the best thing in the world, but they're not as scared. I mean, I was, no, I was definitely not as a kid. Dude, terrified. When my daughter, like it was a, like I started her off, maybe I was a bad influence, but not really. Cause my daughter's a sweetheart and she's so not violent. She has a heart of gold. Um, so me being the horror guy that I am, like when she was little, like maybe like four, right? I would start her off. There was that show on on like FX. It was it was called Face Off, 
where they do like the props up. Right. Like, oh, exactly. like there's like the good looking girl or the good looking guy model, and they do prosthetics and they transform into contest of who could make the scary whatever. So I kind of sat her down and watched that to show her that it's fake. It's makeup. Mm-hmm. It's not real. There's no demons like that. There's no werewolves running around like that. So then, like, after that, like, she started watching it, and she was interested in it. And then I think, like, the first one was, like, Gremlins. Because he got, you know, cute little gizmo, and then it's, you know, it's yeah. fun and silly. But then I would, she was like, you know, what other movies are there? And I would be like, well, you know, the scariest one for me as a kid was, like, The Exorcist yeah. and stuff like that. So she's like, oh, yeah. So I waited a few years. But then, and I've seen that movie so many times, so I know certain parts where she goes off cursing like yeah, crazy yeah. Where, where, where she would start asking questions like like right. what is it you know, <laughs> there's certain windows yeah. I don't want to yeah, have you to can't cr- show right. a young kid some right. of those scenes right <laughs> some of those scenes and then like there'll, there'll be certain parts where I'll cover her eyes and I'll go wah, 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 so she can't hear yeah, yeah. but like basically she's watching a good portion of the movie and she's just like watching she's like bored I'm like you're not scared she's like no that she just has like a potty mouth like she was like relatively unfazed when I was her age right. watching that I was terrified I dude. couldn't even look at it just the sounds no, coming out of the movie terrible. on the TV edited for TV version right. freaked me out right. just so the sound she's just like yeah dad yeah. she's just she's, she's, it's she's amazing like mouth. how desensitized young people are today and it's we're weird. like that was the scariest thing I've ever seen and yeah. they're just like it's boring yeah and yeah that's how she is it's like what but the amazing thing is I mean a lot of people ask me what do you think of modern horror I'm like I don't have the same feeling from modern horror that I had back then. Maybe I'm too old and maybe I've just seen too many horror movies, but I don't think so. I just don't think horror has that same raw impact that it it used to. Every once in a while we get something that does like a Serbian film or like uh, even like hereditary was pretty like, you know, there, there's the few that, that sneak in. Uh, I'm even in, to go back in time, Blair Witch at the time, right. you know, when it first came out, it was like nobody it was, did that no kind one of did thing that before. Stuff. So you, you, you're still going to get those kind of like movies every they're few far years. Far between, like, they're they're not as as they used to be, and uh, it's unfortunate. But I I also know it's like music or anything else. There's a comes a point where everything just becomes recycled. Yeah, and by the like, let's say by the. 80s it wasn't at that point yet so right. we were still getting fresh ideas yeah. but i mean try to pick a holiday now and make a horror movie about it yeah you know, really. it's like it, that you can't anymore you, you know can. they were like you know there was <laughs> still holidays you could pick in, in the 70s and 80s <laughs> yeah um, but you know even if you try to make a, a, an exorcist style movie it's never going to have the impact no. that and that there's has. been so many now there's so many possession yeah. movies the possession of this the exorcism of this person the exorcism of that a haunting over here a haunting in Connecticut a haunting yeah. wherever a haunting over here now and I it's watch like, them I watch them all yeah. and, I, and I just came from a store I buy you know two dollar three dollar dvds yeah. and I, I i collect them and i watch them i just I, they they'll never have that impact no, but right. i i still like to be entertained and i still collect most of the stuff i collect is like upgraded versions of the same movies that sure. i've bought five or six times oh, of over the years laser disc and whatever you yeah know. do you have a laser disc player yeah i have two you, of them i do still you? do yeah wow really at one point i had a, approximately 400 laser discs that i get almost all horror and then uh, when DVD came out in 97 and I started like being like, all right, I, you know, I already bought everything. And they, those things were like 40 to 50 bucks a piece. Yeah, dude. Know? All the good ones, you know. Yeah. Uh, and 
I started, like I discovered eBay in like 2001 and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to sell them off. Nobody wanted them. If I had waited now, Mm. I would have made so much money on the stuff that I sold, but I sold a thousand pieces from my collection. Really? Yeah. Okay. So luckily I have thousands more. Yeah, you do. I'm sure you do. (laughs) But at the time I I felt like I could purge a lot of the stuff I had and I I regret it. Like you say, you regret those Fangorias. Well, I went through the same thing and I sold records that I I worth so much. I sold a bunch of records too, man. Hardcore too. Like originals that I thought nobody, you know what? I don't need it. I have it on CD. Right. But why would I, you know, now I couldn't think ahead. I just didn't realize that was 2001 to 2004. Vinyl wasn't hot. Not at all. Not like it is now. So I, nobody wanted vinyl. Everyone wanted the CDs. I can yeah. make more money selling CDs than vinyl, you know, yeah. and I fucked up. Yeah. And I sold some original vinyl that are worth hundreds now. Like, you know, and I, okay, we all make mistakes. Of course. You, know? you can't see the future, but I wouldn't sell anything again now. All right. No. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm done selling yeah. off my shit. I'm going to wait a while. I'm, I'm definitely in, back in buying mode. And, yeah. And I, have, I think I am too. Yeah. Well, <laughs> get a couple of those fangos, you know, yeah, I think I have feel to. good. Just buy the ones you really love the cover of. Yeah. I love the Friday the 13th part Fun. two cover yes. with the head in the refrigerator. Yes, of I, course. I'll never forget going to the supermarket and walking and seeing that cover yep. and being horrified. Yeah. Like, I can't believe I'm in, I'm a kid in a supermarket and for all the world to see is a decapitated head in a, in a refrigerator, refrigerator on the front cover of a magazine. Awesome. Horrifying. Whichever episode, whichever episode, whichever issue it was, it was it was basically the whole review and everything of Friday Thirteenth, the final chapter. And I remember there was a whole big thing with Savini, and there's a whole section of stills from the movie. And that was the first time that would that, that movie dropped in '84, so I was nine. So that was like one of the first. As a little little kid, I always wanted to. I always loved dinosaurs, but I was like, "How are you going to make money doing something with dinosaurs?" And when I grow up, I'm going to be a dinosaur guy. But then I started looking. Yeah, and? and and I was looking in the magazine, and that was the first thing I ever wanted to be. I wanted to be Tom Savini. Yeah, everybody did at that time. I wanted to be Tom Savini. He was the, he was the greatest. You know, so I mean? that is the first. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to say it right now. Is is the first Fangoria magazine? I'm going to find out which issue that is. That's got to be the first one. I know it's get. on the cover because I have it. It's it's. Him when he comes behind the guy in the hospital yes. and saws his head and then turns it. Yes. And that cover is horrifying. Oh, like, of course the it guy is. has his neck being cut and blood. With all, a hacksaw. Yeah. And it's like, how, how could you get away with putting that on a cover of a magazine that's in supermarkets? and Times were different, man. Times were different. And, and yeah. it, you know. It was people, like, whatever. Yeah. People were like, maybe it flew under the radar of the average person. But, it, I mean. It, I loved it. I still look at those covers and and can't believe that that was on the shelves for little kids to see because it was it scarred me. I'll tell you, man. Yeah. I, I I was scared to death of seeing that on the racks. Like, and, you know, that was when wrestling magazines had blood pictures oh, and all like, the guys being cut and everything. I was like, I was huge into that too. <laughs> nice. Yeah, it was all that time. Yeah. Man. My you mother know? worked in Kings Plaza in, in 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 Brooklyn, and it was whatever day they came out. She would be like her payday or something, and she would always bring me home a Fangoria magazine or like, and like the new like pro wrestling illustrator or something like that. Always like a wrestling magazine and a horror magazine. She would get bring them to me home all the time. Well, those are still today great. I hope you get some more. I will. And, you know, I'm always, I always scour everywhere I go. I mean, no matter where I am, yeah. I'm like, I can yeah. smell DVDs. There's something around here. Let's take a look. And you never know. I always say, you know, if you see a dusty cardboard box, 
pull it out and there. look through it because you gold find... can be in there. And the least likely places is where you're going to find Absolutely. the gold. The people who have no idea what they got. My kid has some videotapes. I don't want them anymore or whatever. Uh, you have and no idea. you're like, oh my God, like an original or what, what, zombie or whatever. Yeah. You know? So I'm always, always scouring today, you know, picked up some stuff. I don't really collect a lot of like, oh, what do you call those? Those. I have that. Yeah. I have that. Nice. That is the, the NECA Halloween yeah. two. It's like the, the, ult, the ultimate, yeah, the ultimate figure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I don't collect a lot, but this movie was really I, important to my like appreciation of soundtrack horror because yeah. that synth soundtrack of Halloween two, yeah. like was just at the time. I have heavy. to meet him. I have to meet Dick Warlock, the guy who played Michael Myers. Well, I have that. I have a whole bunch of shit. We're going to... A lot um, of figures, bro. Yeah, I don't have a lot, but I have a few select ones yes. that I do like. And when I see something that really was important to me, I'll do it. But, you know, if you start collecting all this Godzilla and all this Halloween and all this Friday the 13th, it, it takes up so much space. Dude, I know all about it. <laughs> you I know all about, about it. Yeah. It's bad. It's it's really bad. I have a lot, dude. Yeah, I, I do. I love looking through other people's collections. I go to their houses and I just stare at all their stuff. They're like, hey, you want to do something? No, just, no I'm, I'm just but, taking this all I, in. I'm, good you know yeah. so I, I always admire on instagram people who have these giant rooms with like everything oh, me I'm too, like, I, you know we all don't have all that space you know so we we do but if i had it. that space it would look just like oh, it yeah. one day one day uh people tell me i should open a museum someday at uh, the museum of dave you, know? you should um but we're gonna meet at monster mania coming up yeah. march 13th yeah. friday the 13th yes. i will be there i will be there all weekend cool so we will see each other i will not miss my chance to meet sam raimi right I have already met Sean Cunningham. I never met him. Uh, Victor Miller is going to be there, and Steve Miner. Steve Miner. I've never met who I want to. Meeting so the when bucket list. Yeah. I'm a Friday the 13th guy. Well, so Sean Cunningham is huge. Yeah, for me. He's great. I just I love meeting directors. To me, they're the, like the kingpins of these movies. Sure. Without them, these movies wouldn't be the same as they are. I met Harry Manfredini. I yeah. fanboyed out with yeah. that guy. He's but he's mean, awesome. I know. I saw your... He made, uh, he made fun of my Brooklyn accent. Hey, how you doing? What's your name, Vinny? I was like, oh boy, here we go. Yeah, he was a great guy that, you know, I, I only had um, seen him once at a Fangoria convention some, yeah. probably more than 10 years ago um, before that box set of Friday the 13th music came out yeah. that he signed a lot of them. Uh, but he's great. But uh, Sam Raimi for me, like I, the Evil Dead, the original sure. Evil Dead, first one, absolutely life changing movie. Same I, here. I couldn't believe how good it was and how raw it was. And then when you're like, the guy was only like 21. Yeah, it's crazy. It's unthinkable that someone at that age can make a movie like that. Yeah. No wonder he's who he is. But I need to meet him. I need to like absorb some of that energy yes. from him. I have an original Evil Dead poster that's like valued do. around five hundred plus dollars. Once he writes to Dave Sam Raimi yeah. on that, it's worthless except to me, right. you know. But that's I got to do it, you yeah, know. Of I course. mean, because without that movie, I don't know if I'd be the exact same horror. No, you wouldn't. Be. I would be. You definitely wouldn't be. That part where they he chops the woman up and yes. the, the parts are all over the floor flopping uh-huh. around. Yeah. No other movie had I seen like that violent, like axe chopping. Crazy. And it was There's like, some brutal stuff. Even like the the pencil stabbing yeah, in the side oh, of the ah. ankle, and it's twisted. Yeah. It's like yo. Every time I watch, yeah. it's like yo. That looks like it hurts. And the sounds they're making, yeah, is so <laughs> disturbing in every way. I I'm gonna tell Sam Raimi this when I see him, but I, there was it was my sister's sweet sixteen. Okay, and I <laughs> I was fourteen, and I had the videotape, and I started watching it, and one by one. The the my the peak guests of my sister Sweet Sixteen would see it and start watching it with me. Right, and then it would end, 
and the, they would go, you've got to see this movie that Dave's oh, watching. Shit. And then more would come in and we put it on again. We watched it five times no in a row shit. in one day. And my, and my sister's like, you ruined my sweet success. That's awesome. <laughs> you made it great. I was like, well, those people will probably still remember. What was that horror movie you were watching at your sweet 16? Yeah. It was my stupid brother. Who was doing it. <laughs> that's awesome. It, I, that's how much that movie meant to me. Like, I just, it was like everything. So, you know, going to Monster Mania and being able to kind of come full circle, meet Sam Raimi. Like, he doesn't need to be at a convention. Not at all. He's one of the biggest directors in fucking Hollywood. Yeah. Like, but he obviously wants to meet his fans and he yeah. cares enough. I mean, he's going to make a shitload of money. Oh, but there's going to be lines for several people. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be a month. That's why I'm going Friday. Yeah, I'm going, I'm going to be there all three days. Saturday is going to be a nightmare. Yeah, that's why I can't do it. I can't do another Carpenter. I waited six hours for Carpenter. Yeah, my daughter wants to meet those two people that are going to be there from Stranger Things. Right. I'm going to be online all day, fine. Yeah, yeah. All day. Saturday's tough, but if you go there Friday and do all the stuff you want to do, then at least you won't be worried or about it. Or you go there Sunday towards the later, like, 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 from like noon on, yeah. it dies down, yeah. and then you can swing go right it. Up. Yeah. You go right up, and yeah. yeah. So, so there's tactics. There's yeah. certain things you got to learn when you do these things. Yeah, I know because I've been. Oh, I you know started, about I, the first horror convention I went to was in eighty. I'm going to say eighty six in uh, Fangoria Weekend of Horrors, and this is when it was like that was the only horror convention. Yeah. And uh, Tom Savini, Carolyn Monroe. Awesome. Uh, I can't remember uh, every guest. Dick Smith. Wow. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, incredible. And then the, the next one, Linda Blair. Uh, I can't remember. I get them mixed up now. Sure, like, all of course. Later, but like those old horror conventions, when they first came out, it was just like amazing. Like no one charged for autographs. Wow. Nobody. It was all just like you paid your fee and you, you got to like, you know, ride every ride. And it was, it, it, there was never like super long lines. I got to meet so many people back, back then. Now the conventions have gotten so popular yeah. that it's like you look at Monster Mania and Chiller. I mean, you can't even move anymore. And right. it's like, I appreciate that. You so check out New Jersey Horicon. Have you been? I only went to them when they were in Edison. Oh. And then it was in like one other one. But then when it moved down to Atlantic City, it's like now it's a four hour turnaround driving wise for me. I do the whole weekend. I yeah. stay in the showboat. And we just do it. And it's cool because, like, they always have, like, this thing, like, like after, like on Saturday after the convention is all wrapped up, there's a thing. They have, like, this scary thing. And there's people. You're just hanging out. Next thing you know, it's like you're hanging out with all these people and they're regular people. And it's just cool. It's, a, it's very cool. Okay. So. You know? There's no, like, you know, if you, you buy stuff, you go right up to the room. You put your stuff back yeah. in your room. You got to use the bathroom. Yeah. There's no lines. You go right up to the room. There's a discount code. You do the whole weekend thing yeah. because it doesn't feel that bad with the whole ride because it's, it's a hike. Yeah. But you get away for yeah. the whole weekend and you go and you have fun shit. I, I used to do the, that at the chiller. I was definitely like the whole weekend. Yeah. And I, then I could party. Like you said, it's great to have a room to be able to put your shit in. And, yeah. you know, you have a place you can keep your beers and all that stuff. So um, so I will make it to the showboat one of these times because it, it, it's just going to take the right guest to get me of down course, there. And of course. So far, I like the guest, but it was people that I've seen at conventions before. Right. So I didn't have a reason. But like if Sam Raimi was going to be down there, I'd be on a, a yeah. you know driving down. Um, I need to meet, even though I've met him three times, Dario Argento, I have okay. to meet again because I just acquired an original Suspiria poster. So you got to have like, him sign it. That's the one I need. I, I have an opera poster signed, by him, but I never had the original US one sheet for Suspiria, which I, I recently, or not recently, but recently got since I met him. And okay. uh, when he appears anywhere, I will be... Yeah. Going there, traveling any distance, because he's not going to last forever. No. And he, I got to get him to sign this Suspiria poster. But yep. 
Yeah, so that's basically coming up. That's it for me. I'm I'm finishing my record cool. this winter, my solo record. It doesn't it, its tentative title is Dave Niebuhr soundtracks to movies that don't exist. Awesome. And that's what <laughs> that's the concept. Every but that's song, what it is. Every song's different. Every song sound, you'll know right away what it's doing. I've got one that's an homage to Halloween and one that's an homage to zombie. All the shit that, that influenced me. I needed to get this out of my system. I, I got to make this record. Then I can move on and make music that's my, more of my own personality as opposed to kind of. But, but I wouldn't be the person I am and I wouldn't be in this situation if it weren't for these movies. So like, I, I feel like. It's it's something I got to purge, and I'm really excited about it. And everyone that's heard, me too. I can't wait here, to hear it. They're loving it, so I, I know it's going to connect with the right people. Right. But that's what I'm finishing up. I need to get back into doggy dog mode. Write some more material. Go back to Europe with doggy dog. Uh, March 31st, April 1st is our beginning of our year, and get this record done to awesome. the best it can possibly be. And if it's not good enough, we're going to wait till it is good enough. We're yeah. not going to put out something we're not. You're not going to half ass No, right. there's no reason to. I right. mean, um, I know people would be understanding, but we want it out in 2020. Fall of 2020 is what we're, we're looking for. We're going to be in Europe uh, working, playing. We're playing Hellfest in France. Awesome. We're playing Grass Pop in Belgium. These are two huge <laughs> yeah. festivals. We're doing a huge show. I, I can't even tell you because it's not announced yet. Okay. But we've got some really, really amazing shows. We don't play in the U.S. that much, but we, we're on like a little like resurgence here. We got yeah. uh, we got an offer for This Is Hardcore. You were there. Yeah. And that kind of started that the ball rolling. That was fun, man. We've played, we played with E-Town Concrete at, at uh, Starland. We just did Life of Agony at Starland. We had a sold out show at uh, Debonair and Teaneck. Awesome. So like, you know, if the right offer comes through... Doggy Dog will be there when we play again now. Dan Nastasi joins us. Awesome. So it's kind of gone full circle. Nice again to play again with Dan and yeah. all is, is well. And we're having a lot of fun. And yeah, it's just like the family is always there. Yeah. So unfortunately, Sean lives in, uh, in the Carolinas now. So he's not uh, local, but... You know, the family is still together. All of the Mucky Pup, Doggy Dog family, you know, we're all still there. Yeah. And that's a really amazing thing to go, you know, 32 years and still have the same friends and circle friends. And that's why when I see bands like Sick of It All and oh, Agnostic Front, two bands that we're, we're close with and a lot of other bands that are still together, still going. It's like, if you can do it, yeah. we can do it. Absolutely. Anybody can do it because all it takes is determination, friendship positive attitude yeah and you know there's no reason to give up right know? and that's why we won't either so there's no reason we're just going to keep going and i really appreciate you taking your time anytime to come here and chat with me because that really means a lot that that anybody cares i i really put my heart into everything i do yeah. and, and connecting with people through yeah my music and, and Instagram and my horror love of horror. That's what life is about. To yeah, me. man. So it's all about having fun. It's all good it. stuff. Fun is, is it? Yeah. And you know, you're amazing. Thank, Thank you. you. Nah, I just, I just do my thing. I got my Brooklyn uh, blast furnace t-shirt. I'll be yes. wearing it proudly. Awesome. And, uh, that's, that's what's coming up, man. It's going to be a great 2020 and looking forward to, uh, to seeing you again soon. Yeah, without a doubt. Do you want people to follow you on your social media? I only have one social media. It's Dog Eat Dave 
on, on Instagram. Instagram. That's, That's it. it. That's I don't it. blame you. I don't do anything else. It's better to keep everybody in one spot yeah. than spreading out and having all different people. This is where you find me. Direct message me if you uh, if you want to chat about any of this stuff. So Absolutely, that's it. And would you like to close this episode with a song from Doggy Dog? Sure, why not? Let's pick something one. from Alboro Kings. Let's do Who's the King? The classic. <laughs> why wouldn't you do that? Exactly. So awesome. Dude. I'll say goodbye for now. Awesome. And love and respect to all of you. Thanks again, Dave. Thank you. Anytime.